Hello and welcome to Bushwalker's Diary, everyone. Hope everyone is well and staying fit. So today we have John Kennett with us for interview, and we will talk to John about his bushwalking journey. John is an avid bushwalker, and he is into kayaking, yoga, and he also runs a lot of tours as a volunteer for bike tours. If you're interested. So you can join SBW, which is Sydney Bushwalking Club. And he is a really fun person to walk with. And I have been in, on his many walks, which I have thoroughly enjoyed. So let's hear from John. Hey, John, how are you doing? Oh, good, thanks. Thanks, Kavita. Can you start with how did you get into bushwalking in the first place? Yes, yeah, so I was 18. Um, at the end of the first year uni, a friend of mine uh, named Itchy and I went to Tasmania. We hitchhiked down from Sydney to um, Melbourne, Quarter Plain to Devonport. And Itchy was an old um, scout. And I'd never heard of Cradle Mountain Lake St. Clair National Park before, but the very first place we went to was Cradle Mountain. And we mm-hmm. walked in that area. And then. Um, Shortly afterwards, um, oh, well, a week or two later, we're in Lake St. Clair, walking parts of Lake St. Clair up to Narcissus Hut. And then a little, wow. bit, a little bit later, we then went walked the whole um, uh, Lake St. Clair to Cradle Mountain. So that was my first ever um, real bushwalk with no prior experience at all. So you didn't have any bushwalking gear or anything much with you? No, you well, just... um, it was very common then. We, we uh, wore sand shoes anyway. I, I was unaware that uh, sand shoes were the preferred bushwalkers' shoes. But, um, yeah, I was completely oblivious. I, uh, we had ponchos um, for rain gear. Um, I had a summer-style sleeping bag that was extremely cold, even though it was um, January. And um, Trevor, I think, brought the cooking stuff. Uh, look, we, we carried almost nothing. I can recall such a light weight and 18 years old. One of the things I liked was the, the, there'd be a sign saying, um, uh, you know, the next hut, uh, Duquesne hut, uh, two hours. And, of course, at 18, we'd always get there in an hour and about <laughs> half the speed. In recent, I've been back, I've now done the overland track six times and also been around at numerous other occasions. And I can tell you these days when it says um, three hours in the next hut, it's definitely three hours. <laughs> <laughs> I think when you're young and strong and uh, have got a lot of energy to keep moving. Oh, well, I, I never planned anything. We, we picked up a bit of food at the – there was a tiny little shop at Lake St. Clair. In those days, there was just a ranger's um, building and nothing else essentially. It was tiny. And uh, Trevor went off and bought some flour and some jam. And by day three, we'd run out of food. We were eating damper. And um, wow. we found some scouts coming the other way, and they gave us some tin food. In those days, um, people carried a lot, a lot of tin food. And, oh. um, you know, rather than, um, yeah, but there was dehydrated food. Like you could get dehydrated, Trevor had dehydrated egg, for example. Mm-hmm. I don't know what we did with that. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but a lot of damper was made. And, and we didn't, of course, carry any cooking gear. We um, cooked it on the uh, fire inside the huts. So this, I, was, mm. this seems very different as compared to your walks these days. 
Oh, yes, yeah. I'm, I'm just writing a story at the moment about Jim Brown's cross the Wallamai trip, uh, the Wallamai 1961, and point out the difference in the gear and the um, the difference in the, um, uh, you know, navigation equipment. He just had a, um, an, uh, you know, a military map and a compass. Well, well, we didn't even have a military map and a compass in, in our trip. <laughs> Mind you, the overland was... Um, it was very easy to follow, and it was essentially just to keep following the roots and the um, the dirt and the mud and the um, the button grass and so on, and you'd you'd get to Cradle Mount eventually. So, and do you think it is similar um, route and easy to follow as today, or it has changed quite a uh, bit? Since look, I, I think the bottom half is actually um, worse than it was then. Um, when you when you come south of. Uh, Kiora Hut, this, where the roots and the um, that part of the track, I think this is my personal opinion, has deteriorated. But further north, where they introduced duck boards, it's much much better. Uh, look, look, I, we were walking across that um, country that's now got duck boards, and if they'd continued allowing people, what you did is you you create in the middle of the track would just turn into a mud uh, pond, and people would walk around it, and then walk around that, then walk around that. And they were turning to the 30, 40 feet wide. Um, well, you know, those duck boards are a really good improvement and they're important So um, to, to protect the area. So yeah. after Cradle Mountain, um, Trevor and I again, that was Itchy Keneally, and I went to New Zealand the following summer uh, where we walked the um, uh, root burn and the Rees Dart. The restart was a terrific experience. Again, a fair bit harder than it is now because uh, you started a lot further down uh, away from the start of the track. These days you can start uh, well, a good four or five hours uh, closer to the uh, um, to where the dart is and so on. Oh, sorry, not where the dart is. It's a much shorter walk today. So they were fabulous experiences and then um, – I did walk the overland again in my uni days and went to the Warren Bungles in my uni days. But after that, the walking, uh, more or less, um, I stopped doing it in favour of um, backpacking holidays and um, other things for probably as much as 20 years. Hmm. Oh, and now you lead a lot of walks in Sydney Bushwalking Club, which I'm also part of. Yeah. What makes you excited about leading a walk? What's your motivation behind it? Ah, that's a good one. Well, look, I, I do find it very stimulating. I, I find, in fact, that a little bit of pressure helps. You know, that thought that you're uh, putting a walk on for other people, and you put a put a lot more work into it than if I was just doing it on my own. I have to pre-think. You know, I have to think through all the possibilities that might happen on the walk and plan for. Um, the contingencies uh, according to who's coming along or who might to come along. And, um, you know, the, it, it's not just simply bringing inexperienced people along, but, it, you know, over time you, you get to know many of the members of your club and you know that some of them are a little bit more difficult than others to handle, you know. <laughs> I have this theory that um, it's good for you to um, have to deal with a challenging person every now and then because it keeps you on your toes. But the uh, look, I'm leading about twenty or so events a year, and 
Uh, I like to put on stuff that's uh, very idiosyncratic. It's very much my sort of walk. I, I put very, very few routine um, walks you'd get off out of a uh, walk book, like, you know, 100 Best Walks Around Sydney. It, it yeah. almost always something that in some ways uh, belong mine because I've found it or I've discovered some spot. This Thursday I put on a very simple one to a rock orchid site in Murramurra that, um, because I noticed on yesterday that the rock orchids are out. So that's, that, you know, certainly in an area where, oh, you know, hardly anyone would ever walk there, maybe someone every five years, et cetera. So right. that, I like that kind of thing. I like it a little bit just different. Uh, I like a lot of off-track. Um a lot of a lot of navigation challenges, but I think you're asking me about why lead the walks. Uh, I, I do enjoy it. I mean, the vast majority of people that come on the walks are very very appreciative, and you get a little pat on the back. It's only a, and you just feel like uh, it's a very satisfied feeling when you've taken people out on a, a very enjoyable walk and they've had a good day. I agree with you because uh, not just to say in front of you, but I really have enjoyed all your walks uh, in past. And since I've known you, I think I feel like you lead a lot of exploratory walks, as you mentioned, and uh, mm. they, they tend to be enjoyable uh, off track, but not uh, too up to too much, too much uh, hard or too long days, which is I, kind of a balance and mix of walks I find. I, I agree. Can... I've had to balance out the fact that I myself have not, Physically, um, it's a it's a long, long time since I walked that walk when I was eighteen, and <laughs> physically up to the really, really demanding uh, let's walk across the Wallamai type places. I'm still trying to walk in the Colo area, which is, you know, it would help if I was ten or fifteen years younger to walk in that area. I, I like to keep the walks um, like six to eight hours maximum, whereas you can see quite frequently leaders put on stuff that. <clears throat> run is running the risk of being well over eight hours, and I normally have in mind a thought that look if it after five hours we're here or we're there, and it doesn't it looks like it's going to run out much longer. Well, I'll have a kind of a shortcut or some sort of way of trimming it off, and so to keep it down to a level that I'm I'm comfortable with, and um, the vast majority of my or many of the people coming on the walk are comfortable with. I also, Kavita, while I think of it, there's a little idea is that um, I do think it kind of uh, it's more stimulating on a walk if at some point during the walk people are a little bit uncertain about what's going to happen next and maybe even um, I've been known to fake not knowing where I am and um, making statements like, gee, I wonder where we are because I find that that kind of that little uncertainty, people seem to... Uh, at the end of the day, they sort of seem to enjoy it more when you do get back, you know. <laughs> and, uh, just a little bit of... I think it might be more adventurous that way, isn't it? Yeah, you've got to be a little bit, um, you know, it's got to be done gently. <laughs> but, uh, um, it's, uh, another one is um, with a group is that uh, watching the mood of a group, for example... If a mood's going, if the, the group's gone quiet when you're going up a hill, well, that's fine. You know that uh, that's because they're all um, puffing and panting. But if you're on the flat and they've gone quiet, um, this is because they're getting worried about what's going on. 
the baby, you're not too sure where you are or which way we're going or, or, or so on. And um, that's a point at which uh, you have to start, um, you know, thinking about giving some more feedback or, or so on. So uh, that's um, very good to hear from leaders' perspective because I think it's a volunteer position. You don't get paid to do it, so it's not that you something you have to do, but it comes with the responsibility being a leader. You have to uh, cons- have concerns about the safety, keeping mm. the good, making sure you navigate to the right places does it bring any sort of stress or challenges with it i think now i've done a lot of walks it's not that often that i get really stressed about it because i've usually i'm so familiar with like if it's getting hot then i'll prune the trip back because i have had experiences of people not having heat stroke but heat exhaustion on walks right um if it's getting um i'm careful about we're going to do any rock scrambling to keep it within the range of what people have and carrier tape. And I think I cover most situations these days. I actually get more concerned about getting planning, getting people to the start. For example, last Saturday week, Lynn and I ran a, um, a beautiful walk over to Little Bobby in, in that area. But I had I had to put trip full on the trip because it turns out that the with the COVID restrictions. We, the, the, the ferry filled up very quickly. You know, the ferry, the number of people they allowed on the ferry uh, um, was greatly reduced. So then I spent a fair bit of the week worrying about can I get my group over there? And quite correctly, I was worrying about getting them back because when we got off the ferry, the guy said, I can't pick you up. I can't bring you back, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the kind of, well, I got a water taxi. But that's the kind of thing, again, I'm planning um, a walk next Sunday Saturday week to bottom pick, and I'm just the main thing worries me. It's not once we're underway in the walk; it's just get every everyone to the start. So, John, uh, I feel yeah. like your trips are really fun for me to join, and uh, I feel a lot of people like to join your trip because the mix of people that come on your walks is mm. people. It's, everybody's there not just for the walk or the place also for a great time mm. so do you, you have made some good friends over the time period you have left walking with the club yes um yeah you, you, there's probably a, in a group that have very similar interests that i have in bushwalking as you know there's all sorts of types of bushwalking you can be a person who um likes to do um, 30, 40 kilometre walks and is really into doing just a lot, a lot of kilometres into your legs, say. Um, then there's other ones who, well, there's all sorts of, want to stay on track or so on. And then um, the particular people I've formed the best bonds are those who like to make uh, bushwalking exploring activity and a problem-solving activity. So we're going to try and work at how we can get to a certain place and we're trying to explore and find beautiful locations or things that are very, very stimulating. As you know, I particularly uh, enjoy um, Aboriginal sites, for example, trying to find Aboriginal art. And I've I've really enjoyed going out and um, I I, I normally have a very good idea what we're actually looking for. I I don't just go up and down valleys looking in... uh, uh, overhangs, but uh, I've enjoyed the task of um, 
it's like a project, for example, the, the, the friends that uh, some of the best friends will get a, an email running with four or five of us discussing a particular um, uh, you know, objective. And um, actually Alex was drawn into one of these briefly because we've, um, we've decided that there's a site south of Tambo Creek in the Wollamai that um, is a very, very significant site and I'd actually drew Alex into it to get some information because he'd walked up Tambo Creek. But these huh? people, there's four or five people who we we keep, we just throw ideas at each other constantly. Um, uh, and, um, you know, I've got, a, I've got a walk on the 17th of October to go poking around part of Murrumurra because someone's got an idea of, that there might be something where we're... Um, where we're going to go and so on. Uh, I don't necessarily always, it has to be something Aboriginal. It can be something uh, a, something from the industrial past, Australia's farming, oh, not farming, but uh, something to do with the forests. Um, it can be, uh, as you know, I quite like wildflowers, so I might be looking for something along those lines. Uh, um, yes. But, yeah, it's that process of, of exploring an, an area to see what we've got there and, and almost always involves a fair bit of off-track and, um, you know, ad-libbing, I suppose, uh, um, challenging things. You get the waterfalls. How do you get up this waterfall? How do we go up this uh, spur? I love that sort of stuff. I find that's the kind of best kind of walks because you're not just walking, looking forward, but you're looking around. You're open to ideas. You're looking mm. Everything you're more present in the walk if you do that, I find instead of just keeping your head down and keep walking. Yeah, I don't want to poo who are the walks. You know, I'm a member of another club that are, uh, I'm actually on the committee of another club that is is overwhelmingly much more defined places they go and they, they tend to be much closer to the urban area. And, um, and but you can see amongst the hundreds and hundreds of members, they absolutely love going for a walk, let's say one of the great North Walk sections like Cowan to Brooklyn and that. Um, whereas I find that, look, it's nice, but I, it's not stimulating enough. Um, but I'm, I'm not poo-hooing what they do because you can see people absolutely adore it. But this is just the particular type I love. Um, and then there are, there are some versions of this that I, I think I'm possibly – the only person in Sydney who does, because, for example, <laughs> one of my likings is kayaking up into one of those um, more difficult to access areas on the Hawkesbury Broken Bay. Oh, and okay. um, as yesterday, I, I stowed the kayak in a, there was a midden, where midden say you get a lot of long grass. So uh -huh. you can hide the kayak in there from anyone, anyone going by can't see it. And then I climbed up the hill to a place called Pie Dish Hill. And um, I'm pretty sure there's not a lot of other people done that. <laughs> I could, I don't no one has. <laughs> so, and it's a very exciting experience. It was it's like an hour each way of kayaking. You would have actually uh, known this area. It's up near Big Bay. But, um, uh, you know, I like that. <laughs> this is just completely doing something that's just not on the on the on the. Um, beaten path is it it's uh, it's it's a uh, quite an alternative uh, um type of walking and uh yeah all the walkings can be for different purpose for different people some mm. people walk to do the distance some people do it to get fitter mm. some people exploratory some people do it to get out 
So I think everybody has a different purpose and your style, I find, is more exploratory, excitement in the walk, as I yeah. can hear. Before I joined the clubs, I, I joined SBW in 2009, Bush Club 2008. I had been in a couple of clubs before, like mm -hmm. Spain and Ramblers, which uh, in the late 90s, which closed down. And, and uh, interestingly, I was in a club called the Three Peaks Club, which was all the more interesting because I never knew what the Three Peaks were, but I was in the club in the mid-90s. But what I really, really liked before I started doing a lot of bushwalking 10 or 12 years ago was to go on spectacular, uh, generally overseas trips. So, you know, I did a lot of walking in um, Japan, the Japanese Alps. Oh, wow. Some walking in um, northern India in the Ladakh um, and, a, and a lot of New Zealand, you know, spectacular walks with extremely photogenic scenery, big mountains, um, you know, snow, that type of stuff. However, I, in the last 10 years, got mesmerised by the far less photogenic, but some, there's something about the bush around Sydney that is just so exciting. Um, and yet, yet if you, how often do you take photos of a great, you know, of mountains in front of you? They don't come out as looking really, they're not great Facebook photos, as distinct from, say, photos in the Dolomites. But I would much rather walk in the Wallamite than the Dolomites. It's hard to explain why. And, and, and like the Japanese Alps were stunning. And But but there's something about um, you, you're trying to find your way around those um, frequently nondescript ridges in the in the uh, in our, our national parks near here where you can't, you don't have a land mark to follow. You, you don't have... Uh, your, your navigation's a real challenge. I mean, I remember in Japan, so long as you could read Japanese characters, you you knew the tracks were clear and the signage. And but here, uh, you know, it's not like that. And, and 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 how often do you go out there? And Alex would know from his trip through the Wallaby, where he didn't see anyone in eleven days. How often do you go out there and you don't see anybody? It's it's what we've got here is true wilderness, and um, and that's not in Nepal, and that's not in the Dolomites, and it's not in the Japanese Alps. So, um, yeah, I've, I've turned to love this um, rougher stuff, <laughs> you know, and, and the more challenging um, nature of a lot of Australian bushwalking. Mm -hmm. I agree with you. I think um, while you were mentioning Dolomite and Japan, I was just thinking because I did two Dolomite trips last yeah, year, and I yeah. at the Sydney Bushwalking Club. And I can now, when you say Wollamai is more in capturing for you or mm. exciting, I can see the point because in when I hiked in Dolomai, so Switzerland, risks were too high to go venturing off track. So mm. we stayed off track. So we knew where we were going to go. We had seen pictures of the places. So there was no mystery about the place so much, as much as it's amazing and grand. Yeah. As you there's not much a risk you can take by venturing off on your own sometimes because the risk were too high, you might fall off the cliff. Well, in Japan, I, I could be corrected, but I'd be extremely surprised if anyone left the tracks because that's in their kind of national character. If, if that's the track you've got to go there to go down that you don't leave it. But, I, mm -hmm. um, yeah, it just comes back to, oh, look, I, I, I just think some of that, I can't explain it. The really big scenery like um, European mountains and that, it, it's delightful, but it, it, it's something, uh, 
something more I get just looking across, um, you know, through the Australian bush, say in Darug National Park or Yengo or um, Bolomai or whatever, that I just, uh, it just gets to me better. It's, I get a much better sense of nature and attachment to it. Hmm. I feel like it's very helpful to hear because I love traveling and I like hiking abroad. And mm. mm. I feel what people find exploring in the same area again and again. And there's mm. still new places you can see and find as you have been to Maramara area and surroundings of that area. And I feel like you still explore new places. Well, Maramara is a good example. I mean, really, it's got to be. <laughs> <laughs> it hasn't, when you look, have a good look at it, it's not got a lot to offer. You've really got to go have a really close look to get anywhere there. But there are some real beauties in that park, but you've got to work hard to find them. That's um, true. I led a walk there in um, a couple of walks, one in January where I got my best ever attendance. I got 30 to a place called Rats Castle, another one a few months later, very good attendance to one called um, Square Bay. And wow. they were both delightful trips, but a lot of Maramara's a lot of hard work for not a lot of return. <laughs> Would you like to talk about any area you really, uh, it's your favourite and you like to hike in the area a lot? I ended up doing, um, once retired, and ended up concentrating on stuff very close to home because it was so easy for me to jump in the car and go over to Karingai and... Um, and do three or four or five hours of something on my own, let's say. Then I'd then I'd if it was a good walk, I could turn it into a club walk. I I usually have a good look at a place before I turn it into a club walk. And I, I'd I'd be surprised if there's a um a ridge or a spur in uh Karinga I haven't walked down. I like um uh, I particularly like Poprin. Uh there are but Poprin's are some there's a few specialities in Poprin. Um then going further north. I think I'm the only person who used to walk in McPherson State Forest. Uh, it's currently closed due to the fire situation. Darug. So I'm talking about stuff that's pretty close to where I live in Taramara. Um, mm -hmm. Darug and Yengo. So all those I consider places that I might just go up for the day and so on. But more exciting further afield is, is overwhelmingly the Colo region for me at the moment. I'd leave Hello. wild dogs to the other leaders. I've done quite a bit in the wild dogs, but um, I'd, uh, there's plenty of leaders leading the wild dogs. I'd love to get to know Kanangra, but it's just so far away. And then at the moment, a lot of Blue Mountains is um, closed, isn't it? Because normally I run a few trips in the Blue Mountains. Yeah. Growth Valley's closed and a lot of the Kadumba and Jamison Valley's closed and so and will be for a lot of Growth Valley will be closed for another year. But... Um, yeah, so they're my specialities. Uh, That's um, kind of unfortunate to hear because of the first we have in Australia, uh, a lot of fire, then a lot of rain, and now mm. Corona. How, how do you think, John, it has impacted the club activities and your own personal bushwalking from that perspective? Well, going back as far back as November, I was conscious, uh, November 2019, I was conscious of the impact on fires on, on our, um, our program. And um, by Feb January, February, it was getting really tough. And then early February, we had floods. <laughs> after all the, after, what was it about? 
10 weeks of smoke. Uh, we, we had the worst smoke or, or air pollution in the world for a while due to all the fires and um, constant fire stories. We then had floods. And, uh, you know, the program, I was putting stuff on the program because the, so many so many places were cancelling. Um, so many leaders were cancelling their walks and um, due to the fact that they couldn't walk, walk there. And, 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 of course, I was quite... I knew a lot about a lot of places that remained open, like um, Karingai. And then, of course, we were just sort of looking like maybe it will start to come back together when the COVID hit. And uh, But, look, I'm grateful for the fact that we haven't had a Victorian situation because we might not have been able to walk. We wouldn't have been able to walk for the last three months if we had the same restrictions they had. So our program's recovered extremely well now, and there's a few new leaders in there. And... Um, the program's looking really, really good these days. There's quite a lot of stuff in there going well. I think because of corona, the restriction, and you have to uh, enroll all the people and register on a website, that kind of made it overnight hikes a bit harder for people, for leaders, because it's a volunteer task. And I heard uh, from some people that it was a bit of a chore, becoming a chore, writing all the details about the people, going on a website. So because... Mm walk itself is a volunteer activity and if you add a lot more work to that we had to a small job is if you're doing an overnight you're supposed to put in a trip intention form mm -hmm. and um you're supposed to submit a trip intention form to new south wales national parks and <laughs> so i've done a few of those and uh, um but that wasn't a lot of work. But I think the overnights have recovered a lot. There's a lot of overnight walks at the moment. So I think it was very bleak there for a while, but mm -hmm. uh, I think it's recovered. We do have a, a big surge in membership. There's been a big pickup in um, numbers. We've normally got around about 300 prospectors. We've got 430 at the moment. And I, think this is, I think this is folk who have... Um, um, you know, generally you see when you walk around the parks in the city, there's so many more people and there's so many more people out and about. And the local bushwalking tracks that say at Bob and Head, they're way busier than they used to be. And there's just people wanting to get out who can't really go to. There's so many other activities they used to do they can't do and there's a lot more people interested in getting out into the outdoors. So well, that's a good news for the club as well as in general for people to get introduced mm. to outdoors. And that's what my idea was to start this podcast to give a mm. sense to people from different experienced bushwalker. What is it like to be in the bush, you know? Mm. Mm. What would be your memorable hike or two, if you would like to just summarize your experience of a hike you can remember to maybe entice the people to the outdoor? <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, my most memorable hike would not entice people out. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the, my infamous Shark Rock Ridge disaster of August 2013 still ling lingers on seven years later. Oh, my, wow. I'm only my 10th or 12th lead walk and it was just got out of hand. <laughs> and uh, we were at a 2.30 finish. It was just a local suburban, you know, just... Well, Karingai just happened in the north and it finished at 7 o'clock. And, oh, there was, oh, look, I don't know we should go into it, but two people ended up in hospital. Oh, dear. Anyway, oh, wow. <laughs> it all's at well that end well. But, uh, look, I'm just wondering anything I've had a particularly exciting. Um, 
I think um, uh, getting to uh, an absolutely fabulous um, Aboriginal art site in the Wollamai up um, near Canoe Creek, the other side of Canoe Creek there that I won't mention because we're not supposed to, but that was um, just one of the most beautiful uh, art sites I've ever seen. Um, I think discovering um, there's another very, very good one in the Engo that uh, I somehow or other managed to track down, but there'd be a lot of stories like that, but they would they would be, uh, although I had some great trips over the years in uh, uh Overseas in that, they, they'd all belong to um, Australia and close to Sydney. If I was, to, there's just so many, you know. Where would you say? Yes, you have been walking for many years, so I can imagine. So, d- did you have any situation where uh, it was delayed? The trip was delayed, and uh, everything was well towards the end, and people end up leaving with a laugh. Do you know? I've never, never had that. I've had. Um, I did mention my Shark Rock Ridge disaster, but even that was finished at 7pm. I've never had a uh, – we got caught out overnight, and when I've led overnight trips, we've never ended up without a decent campsite. Or well, You know how you hear stories of people having to compromise, and there was a good one I heard one of the fellas down south led a trip. He said, don't bring a tent, we're going to stay in an overhang, and then we couldn't find the overhang. So they, they didn't have tents, and uh, – I've I've never had that, and I think I think probably the biz when I've been leading trips, I've I've had these wonderful bits of modern um, technology like the GPS. I mean, how often do we really run late now? I mean, how often do we really get lost? Almost never. Almost never do we really get lost. You know, we walk down a spur, three hundred meters, and go, hold on a minute, this isn't right, and we come back. But do we do we ever end up in the wrong valley, or do have I? I even in the club, I can't think of. We don't, you know. You just switch on your memory maps, and you can know where you are. Um, time, I think, an important one is. I, I generally don't think I've bitten off more than I can chew, because mm-hmm. I do know people have gone out and said, "Oh, we're going to do a six-hour walk, and it turns into twelve. But that's, you know, I've, I've never made that type of misjudgment. I'm, it might turn out to be seven hours or eight hours when I thought it was going to be six, but I've, I've never made that kind of. Um, so maybe I'm lucky. Maybe I'm lucky. But on the other hand, I haven't any serious injuries. If you have a serious injury, that can really uh, throw your timing out. Yeah. That's true. And I feel like... There's not a lot of serious injuries, you know. There really isn't. There really isn't. Um, I've led 140 trips. I've just had two that were a bit, you know, two injuries that were, were even though I'm not sure they're that serious, but anyway. I think after having walked with you, I feel like you... Preparation before the walk goes a long way as well, the way you inform people what to expect, what to bring with them, and if you are ready for the walk, as you said. And I feel like a lot of leaders tend to do a recce of the area before they'll take people, new people in it. Yeah, I'd, I'd certainly much more comfortable if I'd done the recce. I haven't done the recce. I, uh, <laughs> just, yeah, I've normally, you know, yeah, if I'm going to have it, maybe part of the triple won't have been done before. But, um, yeah, I don't like to just do it completely, don't know the area at all and go. It's it's just too many too many uncertainties, too much risk. And if you've got a group of 10 or 12 people, the chances that one or two are really going to struggle is um, fairly high. True. If, partic- yeah. if you're going to be clambering over things or, or um, climbing or rock climbing or whatever. So... Yeah, just keeping the, um, 
the risks and the, all that under control. At the same time, don't make it completely risk-free or else it'll be boring. <laughs> true, true. And I feel like if you take the lot of uh, risks that are in your control by looking at the area, mm. knowing where going and being prepared, that takes a lot of risk out of the uh, equation because there's always, if you're outdoor, there's always things that can go wrong or that's not planned or weather can change you know and no, people might I, I did a remote I did a remote first aid course a couple of years ago the, the three-day course oh wow to deal with uh, so you're out and then something happens and I figured out that half of what they taught us was uh, prevention it wasn't how to fix someone who had a break, broken leg it was making sure you didn't get into a situation where someone got a broken leg and that's that prevention planning upfront planning use Great reduction in your risks if you've if you've thought it through. You've thought through things like if we get to um, this point and someone's um, not well or whatever, when we can take this different ridge back and we can take this different with different way back and we get back sooner. Or, or I've got other leaders with me um, who can um, escort someone. Or I don't want to give the impression people don't don't finish walks. Very 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 few don't. But um, it just it, it's good sense to be able to cater for everybody, and you don't. Somebody might be feeling unwell just that day, or yes, that's right. Mm. So John, what have you been planning for the next few weeks? Uh, have you got some hikes planned? I see. Yeah, well, uh, I'll pop one on this Thursday on the short notice program. It's just a little explore for some um, a spot I know where there's a lot of uh, rock orchids. It's just meant to be meant, meant to be. Um, three, four hours of um, poking around Thursday. The following Saturday week, I've got Bonham Pick, which is quite uh, an exciting trip. i tell you how I have modified my risk. At the very end of Bonham Pick, there is a very risky spot there. Are you leaving for the club, Bonham Pick? That's Bonham Pick for the club. And there's a very risky spot at the end. And a couple of years ago, I would do that spot, but I'm inclined not to do it this year. I think we might... Stop just before it. Do you know what it's called? The slide of death. <laughs> so I'm <laughs> getting more conservative. And then I've got a lot of other, I've got quite a variety over the next few weeks because I've got a, a semi canyoning one. And I've also thrown on the program an electric bike, mountain bike ride, which so far um, absolutely no one's asked to go on. I think uh, Alex made a joke about coming on it, but we don't have electric bikes, so it was, I think it was a joke. <laughs> you, you can come so long as you don't make fun of the people who are riding electric bikes. So, so. I, I think we won't be there because you guys will be way ahead than us to <laughs> Well, going up a hill on electric bikes can do a little bit if you want to push a Kmart bike. Now, that, that was put on the program for fun. Um and I might I might be working on the on the leadership training walk as well. So yeah, got a few other things on. I've got a great long list of stuff I want to do. I've just got to find the time to put that on. Hmm. I'm looking forward to come on some of your future oh. walks. I hope uh, stays like this and it doesn't get worse like Victoria, as you mentioned. So hopefully we can do some. No, more that's stuff. right. That's that's good reason for keep going every week. Cause in five weeks, <laughs> you might not be going at all. <laughs> Get out there twice a week. That's probably one if we're going to start winding this up now. One of my advice to anyone who's keen on bushwalking is walk every week. And yeah. uh, you, do it when you can, you know. Yeah, because if you only walk once a month, it's a lot harder. 
<laughs> true, true. And it keeps you up your fitness as well. Mm, I think mm. If I take a long time I have walked, I struggle on going on a regular walks and I'm like, oh, what happened to my body? It's not fit enough. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. All right, John, thank All you right. so much. Thank you very uh, much. That was a fairly long chat, but there we go. Yeah, really enjoyed it. Thanks for your time and uh, good luck for the walks. Hopefully I see you on the bush, in the bush somewhere. See you soon, Kavita. See ya. Bye-bye. Bye. So that was a wonderful interview with John Kennett. And stay tuned. We will see you next time, hopefully with some more interesting topics. See ya. Bye-bye.